Welcome to Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 19. I've got the next six episodes for us. We finally move into Acts chapter 7. Uh, Stephen's in a lot of trouble. Stephen's been at the Sanhedrin. There are charges. They are serious charges. And we'll pick it up in the beginning of Acts chapter 7. I'll read the first 16 verses. Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. For four hundred years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, seventy-five in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. And that's God's word. Let's talk in this episode about Stephen's view of God. It appears that Stephen commits the great sin of supervillains as outlined in the movie The Incredibles. He starts monologuing. But that's not the case. He's not monologuing. He's very, very skilled as a speaker. Uh, William Neal in his commentary says, quote, On the surface, it appears to be a rather tedious recital of Jewish history. See also chapter 13, verses 16 to 33, which has little relevance to the charges on which Stephen has been brought to trial. On closer study, however, it reveals itself as a subtle and skillful proclamation of the gospel, which, in its criticism of Jewish institutions, marks the beginning of the break between Judaism and Christianity and points forward to the more trenchant exposition of the difference between the old faith and the new, as expressed by Paul and the author of the letter to the Hebrews, end quote. Homer Kent, in his commentary, says, quote, Stephen was endeavoring to show how the Christian message was fully consistent with and the culmination of Old Testament revelation, 
end quote. Stephen's entire speech is very long. It's so long, in fact, that it will take two other episodes to finish it off. This part, the one we'll consider today, focuses on Stephen's view of God. So we begin to see the direction the speech is going. He begins with Abraham. Abraham was willing to leave the familiar land of his forefathers and go someplace new because God was calling him. The Jews of Stephen's day were unwilling to follow Jesus' teaching because it would take them someplace new. Now, that's not a new theme. That's an old idea. What are those things that we hold on to so tightly because they're old and familiar and we don't want to go in the direction that God is leading us to go? We want what's old and familiar and comfortable and all of that. This is a a thing that many Christians have to grapple with all the time. And so the direction of the speech unfolds. Stephen talks about Abraham's inheritance, or more properly, his lack thereof. The promise of a continuing and lasting inheritance was given to Abraham when he had no children. And the promise was to a future generation that would come through him. Sure, Abraham had a small plot of land, Genesis chapter 23, but a deep and abiding inheritance was yet future. Similarly, the Jews of Stephen's time lived in the promised land, but there would be a greater inheritance when the Gentiles came into the fold. This was one of those other things that we take for granted. They did not take that for granted. The Jews were the chosen people. If you were a Gentile and you wanted to follow Yahweh or Jehovah, there was this elaborate process to get in. Uh, the, The Jews were not looking to make a ton of disciples from the Gentiles. But the Gentiles are part of the inheritance, as we find out in Acts. They're part of the inheritance. They're welcomed into the fold. Uh, And so that's part of the direction where Stephen is going in this part of the speech. And then in verse 7, Stephen talks about the promise that God would judge those who troubled the people of God. I'll go back and find it. Verse 7 says, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Um, The Jews of Stephen's day were troubling the people of God. And so Stephen is setting this up with rich parallels to his audience. There are such rich parallels, and his audience is smart. They know what he's doing. Stephen even talks about circumcision, which was the seal of the promise. And this, too, was a revolutionary... I'm going to try that again. This was a revolutionary idea in Abraham's time. This is another one of those things that Stephen is talking about that was revolutionary at the time that it happened. And also the analog is revolutionary. Stephen is introducing to the Jews of his time an equally revolutionary idea. The idea that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah as the Christians were preaching. The parallels are obvious and they are elegantly understated. Stephen lets the parallels just sit there, unsaid, just waiting for these smart theologians to see them. Because Jesus was was a known quantity to them. His teachings were known. They were clear. 
He wasn't some random person to them. There was a history. There was three years of public ministry. They were well aware of it. And so, so these revolutionary ideas are right in the forefront of his audience's mind. Well, let's talk about God's faithfulness for the next few minutes. The next eight verses, 9 through 16, deal with the Joseph story. Why? Because Joseph's story speaks to God's faithfulness, and because it shows that the one cast aside and ridiculed becomes the hero. See? The parallels are brilliant! God's faithfulness is obvious. Jacob's family is in trouble. The earth is in trouble because of famine. And luckily for literally everyone, God had prearranged for Joseph to be in a position of power and influence just as his entire family needed his help to acquire food. God is notoriously faithful and the story has a grand arc in this regard. And yes, also, this is a story where the one cast aside becomes a hero. Joseph was hated so much that he was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. Joseph was the one cast aside, but God used that one to be the hero of the story. The parallels are incredible. In Stephen's day, the one that the Jews had cast aside and mocked and ridiculed and left for dead was indeed the hero of the story. This first part of Stephen's speech is about the faithfulness of God and about how God does in fact honor his promises. You think about how Stephen started the speech. He starts with, the patriarchs, the ones at the very beginning, the ones who received all these promises from God, Abraham's uh, promise of an inheritance of many, many descendants when he did not have a child and his wife had passed child-rearing age, the promises given to Joseph, even though he was thrown in a prison, even though he was cast aside, you can see the pictures of God's redemption all along the way. And that's the story Stephen is getting his friends, his, his audience. That's the thing he's trying to get them to see. The parallels are intentional. And Stephen just lets his audience figure them out. These are bright people. They knew why they had brought Stephen in. They knew what the Christians were preaching. They knew the stories Stephen was telling. It was intentional, I think, of Stephen to let them figure out the parallels. Therein lies a lesson for us also as we talk to people about the gospel. Everyone we talk to has a backstory. And if we can draw parallels to their backstory, it will help us sink truth deeply into the person who is receiving the good news. If we recognize that the people we're talking to aren't idiots who need us to explain every little thing, they don't need our mansplaining, they don't need uh, a thousand theological lessons, they need a connection between their history and God's story. God is the one who opens their hearts and their minds. God is the one 
who speaks to people. That's the thing we really want. So Stephen gives us a model. This whole speech is a model, and we'll talk about it more in the next two episodes. The whole speech is a model of how he just lays the facts out and lets them draw conclusions. Now, now they don't like his conclusions. They're not thrilled with his conclusions. And it ends very badly for Stephen, as you find out in episode 21. Or you could just keep reading after this episode stops. Like, that's the other way. But the oratorical style is instructive to us. It lets us see that sometimes you just speak truth and let God do the rest with it. Well, the next big chunk coming up, episode 20, uh, the next big chunk is about Moses, because if you're going to lay out a plan of salvation, you have to start, you have to deal with Moses at some point. That's coming up next time. I'll look forward to talking with you then. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire. <music>